0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, I am. If you want to know what Lord means, it's I am. That's the Hebrew root uh, from which we get the, the word that is oftentimes capitalized in maybe older versions or translations of the Bible, the, when you see all four letters of the word Lord capitalized, it's signifying there's a special word in the Hebrew that is based on the root that means I am. And that's a special name that is given to God called the tetragrammaton. We know what we, we say, Yahweh. And and that's what the Hebrew letters look like. In fact, the the Jewish people had such a high regard for that name, for that title of the Lord, that they wouldn't even pronounce it. You came across it in the scriptures, they had a different name in the the margin to indicate how it should be pronounced so that they wouldn't be guilty of abusing or misusing the Lord, Yahweh's name. And one of the the things that I will always remember about that name through my, my years at the seminary was the number of professors that that always called to attention, why this name? We've looked at the Lamb, we've looked at the light, and now we look at the Lord. Why this name for the Lord is so special, so significant. You might might see it as this all-encompassing name for an all-we-need God. But the refrain that that was repeated and that I'll repeat again today is that the Lord means or calls to mind that, that God is the covenant God of free and faithful love. We also have a different word for Lord in the New Testament. In, in Greek, a couple of different ways it can be used. And, and the other way, in, in Greek, more commonly, has to do with our relationship because He is the Lord, Yahweh. It's more of a picture of authority that He is our Master. So when you think of all the number of times that we refer to the Lord throughout the order of service or that it's in our, our hymns that we sing, the songs we sing, uh, or the readings from Scripture, the Lord is, is a big name, isn't it? And so we want to know that name better this morning. And we do that through a little glimpse of how the Lord acts on, his, on behalf of His people through the prophet Micah. And if you noticed, as I was reading through that lesson this morning, Micah kind of paints a picture, portrays this, this imagery of a courtroom going on. And the Lord is the one that is giving a testimony. He's witnessing uh, to the reason that there is no excuse for the Israelites wandering and turning away from him. He, he brings into to mind, he reminds them of how he treated them historically in the past as if to say, look, can you see anything? Can you remember anything? Is there even a single instance that I have have treated you that justifies your rebellion, your unfaithfulness, you being a stiff-necked, stubborn people? Listen, as Micah sets up that courtroom scene, and he says, stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. As you hear those, those words, and you might wonder why the Lord references the mountains and the hills to be a witness to his testimony. Well, if you are familiar with anything in the Old Testament as far as not only Israelites' practices, but the heathen nations around them, Oftentimes, their religious practices, their sacrifices, their offerings took place on the hills and the mountaintops. So it's as if the Lord is saying, hey, you hills and mountains, you know how Israel behaved. You know how they turned from me and and they offered up sacrifices to idols and to other gods. Therefore, you will serve as a very capable witness of my testimony. And then the Lord goes on with his testimony in verses 3 through 5. He says, my people... What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord." That track record that God demonstrated really shows no reason, no demonstration that would permit or excuse Israel's waywardness or turning away from the Lord. How quickly they had forgotten, perhaps one of the most significant events in the Old Testament uh, that, that God uses again and again, not only to remind His people of past deliverance, but to foreshadow ultimately the future deliverance through the Messiah, through the Savior, through the Lord that act of deliverance from that sad chapter of Israel's history in Egypt, where they were enslaved, where where forced labor was their daily lot in life, back-breaking work. And as they were in Egypt, they didn't cry out to the crocodiles, the the sun, and, and the bird gods of the Egyptians because they would not have turned their ears. Who did they cry out to? They cried out to the Lord And the Lord listened. He heard their cries. And not only did he hear them, but he actually answered their prayer. And he delivered them. He raised up Moses. And not only that, did you recall the stunning fashion in which the Lord delivered them, by which he delivered them out of Egypt, ultimately into the Promised Land? He didn't just eke out a victory, barely scraping by over Pharaoh and the Egyptians and his army. He slaughtered them, wiped them out, annihilated them. It wasn't even a close contest as he swallowed them up and smothered them with the seas from the water of the Red Sea, right? The Lord delivered them. Nothing there that would give any reason for the Israelites to turn away from God. But here's the thing, he he didn't stop there, did he? The, The Lord, the covenant God of free and faithful love, didn't deliver them only to leave them lost and leaderless on the other side of the Red Sea, but no, as he reminds us that he brought up leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam to take them from Egypt to the Promised Land. Were they flawless? Were they perfect? No. Yet they were faithful in the role that God gave them. And here's what's perhaps most impressive about them is that even when the Israelites rebelled against their very leaders, when they rebelled against Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and sometimes remember the account where even Aaron and Miriam uh, had their own issues. Nevertheless, never did the leaders throw their hands up in the air and say, Lord, we're done with these people. Find somebody else to lead them. But they faithfully carried out that role. God The covenant God of free and faithful love kept his promise, led them out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, you might might wonder, how long would God be patient with them? How long would he put up with their wandering in the wilderness? Was there a, a time where his patience would reach its limit? Well, you have as they near the promised land, the account that is referred to in Micah of Balak, king of Moab. He was an enemy king that, that recognized and knew that he was outnumbered, that he didn't stand a chance against God's people. So he took matters into his own hands and he looked into this false, I shouldn't say false, he was, he was accurate, uh, but this, this wicked heathen prophet named Balaam. And King Balak went to Balaam and said, look, I don't stand a chance against them. I, I will give you what you need So long as you can rain down curses on the Israelites. Anything you can do that will help my case against them. Give me a fighting chance. Did did the Lord let that plan succeed? No. Not only did he just put a halt to it, but he actually used the words of Balaam and and instead of curses, turned them into blessings so that everything that came out of Balaam's mouth was not a curse, but a, a favorable blessing to God's chosen people. The Lord... The covenant God of free and faithful love delivered his people. And finally, ultimately, from the reference to Shittim to Gilgal, is is that last loving act where God parted the seas of the Jordan River and they finally crossed into the land of milk and honey that God had promised them. So as the Lord reviews that track record, his history of, of his work on behalf of his people, do you see anything there that would allow you to say, ah, that's why Israel turned away from him. There's nothing. It's an airtight case. There is no evidence, no testimony, no witness against the Lord that would excuse Israel's unfaithfulness, rebellion, being stiff-necked and stubborn. And you know what here, though? It, the thing is, that wasn't even the worst of it. What, what was worse than anything else is how Israel responds as God reminds them of his work on their behalf. This is Micah now speaking, really representing the Israelites in response to what God had spoken here. Continuing with verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, it might look like the Israelites are a little bit sorry here. And in a sense, I guess you can say they are. But but you know the difference here, don't you? They're not sorry so much as they are sorry that they got caught. And it's almost the same storyline that we see play out in so many Hollywood movies and scripts. Villain gets caught, gets cornered, and tries to, with one last-ditch effort, weasel his way out, right? That's really what the Israelites are doing here. They're not trying to pretend that they hadn't done anything wrong, but notice their approach in, in bartering with the, God, with the Lord is to simply say, hey, tell us what we need to do to make this right almost as if they're, they're willing to bribe him. Tell us what we gotta do for you, Lord, so that we get back in your good graces. Just, it's a matter of, uh, it's easily fixed, just, just tell us. What do you want from us? Is it a matter of quality? We'll give you our best calves, a year old. Doesn't get any better than that. No, it's not, it's not quality, it's quantity. It's a, you name the number. You just give us a number and we'll give you as much as, as you need. No, it's not quantity or, or quality. Well. We can do one better. We can, we can give you our firstborn. We'll offer up our, our, our own children as a sacrifice to you if that would do the trick, Lord. And of course, the problem with any of these is that the Lord is not interested in this kind of payment, is it? This is, is nothing more than, than play money works of righteousness that, that simply won't do anything before a holy and righteous God. In fact, he even responds to them and says how fruitless it is for them to try to, to barter with God, to bribe him, to somehow think that the very things that they did in the first place that got them into trouble, that they could somehow do something to get them out of trouble. And how flawed and how, how miscalculating their, their thoughts were, their process was. The Lord corrects them, straightens them out, and he says, this is what I'm after. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Your offerings and your sacrifices, they smell, and not in a good way. Don't even bother offering them up to me because they are unacceptable before me. No, what I am interested, if you want a relationship with me, the Lord, the covenant God of free and faithful love says, here's here's the way it's going to happen you humbly receive my mercy. You let me be the merciful God who is going to establish our relationship. And when you are ready to, to in humility, throw yourself at my feet, recognizing the only hope for a relationship is my mercy, my, my grace for you, then, in humility, we'll have a relationship. And what is remarkable about the whole thing is through all of these verses, as much as the Lord God the covenant God of free and faithful love, as many times as he reminds his people Israel the good things they have done, and and he knows full well how many times they have turned away, in spite of of their unfaithfulness, their rebellion, being stiff-necked and stubborn, God still treasured them, still longed for a relationship with them. And although you too, are unfaithful, and rebellious, and stiff-necked, and stubborn, God still treasures you as well. And you'll come to appreciate that if instead of looking at the Israelites in Scripture as, as somebody that you are nothing like, instead seeing them as almost a spitting image, a mirror of you, then you will start to appreciate what God has actually done. In fact, as you go back and and record history and you think through um, putting yourself in their position in this courtroom picture that Micah is painting for you, cannot all the same things that were said of what God did for Israel be said of you too? Did not God also deliver you? Not out of slavery in Egypt, but, but hasn't he through Jesus delivered you from sin and from the power of Satan? That you can actually say no to sin now? And more than that, that he's delivered you ultimately from death through Jesus. And he didn't stop there, did he? Just as he didn't stop there with the Israelites, but, but he has provided leaders for you throughout your lives, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your church or your, your, your community, people that God has placed in your life to draw you closer to Jesus. Even, frankly, sometimes when you didn't care as much as they have about your own spiritual health, when you have ignored those leaders' texts or calls or emails to talk about how to grow closer to Jesus, still the Lord keeps providing leaders for us because he cares that much about having a relationship with us. Did the Lord stop there? Of course not. How many times throughout your life has somebody wished ill will on you or plotted or schemed something wicked, something hurtful, something harmful? And has God ever turned that around and worked good out of it in your lives? Of course he is. How many times can we even keep track of our good and gracious God, the covenant God of free and faithful love, having done just that for you and me? But if we really want to appreciate all that the Lord has done for us, then we have to see how readily we respond just as the Israelites did. Just as that villain who is cornered trying to weasel his way out before God. Lord, is it, is it a matter of, of something I got to do for you? Just let me know how I have to make it right. You want me to show up at church once in a while? Done. That's not it? You, you want something? You want a, a bigger offering? I can cut you a bigger check? Done. You want me to shape up my, my behavior a little bit because I've made some poor choices in the past, so you want me to do a little better with behavior? Done. Just let me know what, what I need to do to make this right. And you know what God's response to that attitude is, to think that we can bring something to barter, to negotiate with him? He says simply this, stop talking. Don't pretend for a second that you can offer a single beautifully scented sacrifice that would be pleasing to me on your own. There is nothing that you can do on your own that is ever going to to right that ship or to to bring me what is necessary for us to have a relationship. No, here's what I want for you. I want for you to want me more. Less of you, more of me. Not your merit, but my mercy. Mercy. Not your sacrifices, which will never be enough to amount to anything, but my sacrifice for you through Jesus. What I want is for my grace to be the grandest thing in your life. Let me be the God of full and free and faithful love, the covenant Lord who keeps his promises. Let me be that God. So what does the Lord want? What, what does it matter to, to know him? What difference does it make? Here's, here's what he wants. He says, let me be I am. But let me not just be I am, let me be your I am. Amen. Amen.